0: Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for your word, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And Lord, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, the words of man are such a waste of time, but the word of God transforms our lives. We thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit so we might understand. So may the ministry of your Holy Spirit take place tonight. We pray also for those watching us on live stream. we uh, for Jack and Tim and others that are watching us on live stream, Donna, uh, be with them as well. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said. Alright. So we met, we didn't do first Kings last week. I'm gonna take a few minutes to catch you up because a text without a context, all you got left is a con. Amen. So we want to make sure we have context. And so let me begin. So in the first, in the last few chapters, we've been looking at Elijah. And you know what? Just like just like all the heroes in Scripture. Um, God does not hide his frailties. He was a mighty man, used mightily by the Lord, but he was also a man who struggled at times. And so, what we've seen so far is we saw his initial confrontation with Ahab and Jezebel as he came in and he basically told Ahab that because of his rebellion against God. Now, by the way, Ahab is the king of Israel. If you'll remember, we talked about this many chapters back after the rebellion of, of Solomon and his descendants, that the kingdom was split in two. The northern ten tribes were known as Israel, and the southern two tribes were known as Judah. And if you'll remember, uh, that's where Jerusalem was in the southern tribes. If you'll remember, too, that all the northern kings were evil, every one of them. Some of the southern kings would go back and forth between those that honored God and those who worshiped false gods. So Ahab, it says, he's the worst of all of them. And we've talked about the fact that his wife's so bad she broke the name. Her name is Jezebel. Nobody wants to be referred to as that. And so we see that Elijah goes boldly in before the king and he confronts him over his idol worship and tells him it's not gonna rain. And it's not because of what Elijah says, but he's just delivering God's message. And it would be God who decided when it would rain again. Now, in those days, if it didn't rain, you're in trouble. They didn't have irrigation systems for the most part. So if it didn't rain, you had no water to drink and no food to eat and everybody's in trouble. So as soon as he made that statement and he left, they were looking for him. Ahab was looking for him. And he, if you remember, he fled down to a, to a river and he hung out, out kind of on the wilderness by himself. And if you remember, God provided for him as the ravens brought him food. And after about a year, as the water was drying up, he went up to Syria. And what's interesting, or excuse me, Sidon. He went with Syria, as we're going to talk about tonight. He went up to Sidon, which is the hometown of Jezebel. And there God had a divine appointment waiting for him. And who did he meet? He met a woman and her son. And she began to he asked her for some water. Now you understand in those days that she was at the end of it. He asked her for a cup of water and she was willing to give it to him. Then he asked her for some food and she basically told him that, look, I just have a little bit, of, a little bit left, a little bit of oil and a little bit of you know, uh, stuff to make bread with and uh, we're gonna eat this, little, this last little cake and then we're gonna die. But she gave it to him anyway. And because of her faithfulness to bless Elijah, her oil and her you know, the flour never ran out. It just continued throughout the entire drought. You'll also remember, though, that even after that, she still didn't fully believe. And then her son died. And remember what happened? Elijah went laid on top of her son and prayed, and her son got up. First time in Scripture, we see someone being raised from the dead. So after all of that, Elijah goes back to confront Ahab. Ahab had been looking for him. Remember, he told Obadiah that, hey, tell him I'm coming. Obadiah said, I'm not telling him because if you don't show up, I'll be in trouble. He goes back and he calls out Ahab and he calls out the false gods, the God Baal, who Jezebel had brought into their land. And here's what was happening. They were all worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth and all the false gods and denying the true and living God. So he challenged him and said, we'll find out whose God is God. You get the prophets of Baal and I'll pray to Yahweh, the true and living God, and we'll find out whose God is God. And if you remember, there were 450 prophets of Baal They were marching around the altar. They set out a sacrifice and said, let's see whose God is God. We'll pray that whoever God is will bring fire down and consume the sacrifice. He even told them to pour water all over his. But before that, they cried out, 450 of them. And then they began to dance before their God. And then they began to wound themselves for their God, their God that doesn't exist. If you remember, Elijah began to even mock them. Maybe your God's sleeping. Maybe he's out hunting. Maybe he's in the bathroom. It's in the Bible. And so after all of that, he prayed one time and God brought fire down from the sky. Not only did it consume the, the, the bull, the sacrifice, but it consumed the entire altar and proving that our God is God. Can I get an amen to that? And the thing should be, that should have been the end of it. At that point forward, you would think that everyone would repent. As soon as they proved that, the, that Yahweh, the true and living God is God, they took the 450 prophets of Baal down to the river and killed them all. And when people read stuff like that in the Bible, they get upset. Like, what kind of God does stuff like that? A God who hates those who draw people away from him. Can I get an amen to that? When you, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt serve no graven image. And God grieves over those who would draw his people away from him. Well, we saw last week, two weeks ago, the right after that, you would think he was in good shape. You would think that Elijah was going to be pretty bold and brave from that point forward. But if you'll remember, Jezebel found out that her 450 prophets were dead and they were all on her payroll. She'd brought them all with her from from Sidon, where she was from when she brought Baal worship. And when she found out they were dead, she made the statement, before this time tomorrow, you know, it's God is my witness, basically. Terminology she used God, you to me, and more so, if you're not dead by this time tomorrow. Now, you would think Elijah, because Elijah we've seen so far, he's confronted Ahab. He's confronted 450 prophets. And now he's talking to Ahab's wife. And what did he do? Who remembers? He ran away. And not just a little ways away, almost 100 miles. He ran all the way down into Judah. And that's pretty gnarly when you're not, when you, I mean, Jezebel must've been pretty rough when you're not afraid of her husband and you're afraid of her. Can I get an amen to that? And so he ran away. And if you'll remember, not only did he run away, but he, he sat under a tree, Pastor Day paraphrased, and he basically said, Lord, I've had enough. Why don't you just kill me? I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And if you'll remember that in the midst of his discouragement and despair, remember we talked about that in chapter 19, I titled the message you know, uh, how to deal with discouragement and despair. We all deal with it from time to time. Can I get an amen to that? And we talked about dealing with discouragement, despair, and depression. And how did God minister to him? Because he had moved from faith to fear and from boldness to discouragement. And then he felt isolated and alone. And by the way, the enemy wants you to be alone. And Christianity's not for the lone ranger. We need fellowship. Can I get an amen to that? And it's so hard when people separate themselves from each other. We see people fall into depression. Depression's higher than ever. Drug abuse is higher. All of it's higher. So what did the Lord do to lift him out of his discouragement and depression? The first thing that happened was the angel of the Lord appeared to him. Some of you may disagree with me, but I believe every time you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it is Jesus Christ. So I believe that Jesus showed up to comfort Elijah. What a great God we serve hundreds of years before he came to earth, he comforted Elijah. And three reminders from the Lord to lift us out of discouragement from last time was that God is at work even when we can't see it. God has not abandoned you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He never forgets about you. Uh, You are his treasured possession. Can I get an amen to that? The enemy wants you to feel uh, depressed and discouraged. The second thing is to be faithful right where you are. Don't let the world or the heartaches of life keep you from doing what God has called you to do. A lot of times we'll be going through a tough time and we'll feel like we just need to check out of ministry. Sometimes even check out of church. I'm going through a tough time. And you know when you need to go to church the most when you're going through a tough time. Can I get amen to that? And the enemy wants to isolate us. And even Elijah, this mighty prophet of God had to be encouraged had to have the Lord minister to him, encourage him. And then finally, the success of God's ministry not depended on you. Do you remember what he said? He said, oh, I'm alone. There's no one else but me. I'm the last of the prophets. Now it's true that Jezebel had hundreds of prophets put to death. And he felt like he was the last one on the planet. And you might feel that way where you work. You might feel that way in your family. You might feel that way in your house. You might feel that way in different places where you feel like you're the only one. Well, I want you to know that God's on the job. Can I get an amen to that? And you're never alone. And if you remember how he spoke to him, remember he didn't speak to him through the wind. He didn't speak to him through the earthquake. He didn't speak to him through the fire, but he spoke to him with a still small voice. And sometimes you want God to do something miraculous to speak to us. And certainly he can do that. But more times than that, he whispers. Can I get an amen to that? More times than often, he speaks to you when you're still and quiet before him. How many of you besides me need more of that? Can I get an amen? We're so busy. Most of you guys know I have a full-time job. My job right now is crazy because we're closing books. And I had 17 nights in a row doing counseling. And you know, I do have a family and a wife that likes to see me every once in a while, right? And what happens is you can get so busy sometimes that you don't take time to stop and just be in God's presence and be still before him. Amen? So we've seen that at the end of it, God brought Elijah a friend and someone for him to minister to. What's his name? Who remembers? Elisha. And Elisha is going to be the one that takes his place. He's going to spend three or four years ministering to Elisha. Elisha leaves his family and everything behind to go be with Elijah. So that's how chapter 19 ended. So we've seen all this taking place in his life, and we get to chapter twenty. And you would assume, if you haven't read ahead, we're probably going to see Elijah and Elisha together, and we're going to see how God uses them. Now that Elisha is serving alongside him, won't this be exciting? Guess how much of Elijah and Elisha are in this chapter? None. They're not mentioned once. They're not in here. And I'll tell. You, and I know there's a good reason why, and there always is, because the Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Bible's always perfect. But part of one of the things that he said was, I'm the only one left. And what did the Lord tell him? I got 7,000 more just like you. Can I get an amen? And we're going to see several of those in tonight's text. Their names are not mentioned. They're prophets, but they're anonymous. And I actually love that because sometimes we think that God only uses people that are well-known or somehow God's only going to use people that have some kind of reputation. And the reality is, I think that a lot of the people use, God uses in a mighty way. No one else knows about it, but him. Amen. People that pray in their prayer closet and don't advertise it. People that serve in in the mission field and maybe have a handful of people supporting them, but it's not known by a lot of people. You know, people that are, are faithful to serve in the children's ministry and they pray for the kids all week and they go down and serve the kids and they don't meet most of the church unless your kids are in the classroom. And there's people that serve in areas where they're not really noticed as much. But guys, we don't do it to be noticed by men. We do it to be faithful to God. Can I get amen to that? So let's pick up tonight, and I titled the message, might be an odd title, but I titled the message, The God of Both the Hills and the Valleys. You know, God is God when things are good, and God is God when things are bad. Can I get an amen? God is God when everything in your life is perfect, which, by the way, how often does that happen? And if you're only happy when everything's perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. And the Bible doesn't talk about happiness. It talks about joy. And joy has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with the right standing before Almighty God. Amen? So we'll see the reference to this in tonight's text. And so we're going to see King Ahab, evil King Ahab, the most evil king according to the word of God who ever ruled over Israel. And we're going to see how God, in spite of the most evil king, in the history of Israel, is still going to show up on behalf of his people that are ruled by him. Doesn't that give you a little encouragement to know that the man leading the country can be a mess and God can still show up? Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. So it's good to know that God is faithful. We don't put our faith in kings and, and presidents and the government. We put our faith in the Lord, amen? And we serve a faithful God and he's in control. And so, the God of both the hills and the valleys. First of all, you're, we're going to see some examples of these throughout the text. Your flesh will never be satisfied. If you give your flesh an inch, it'll take a mile. We'll see that in tonight's text. If you're walking in open rebellion against God, you should be afraid. This is King Ahab in the first few verses. And we're going to see that this guy isn't much of a king. Not only is he in rebellion against God, but he's, he's pretty much a wimp. We're going to see that in tonight's text. Number two, there is wisdom in the counsel of many. You know, again, Christianity is not for the lone ranger. And we know that the Lord is the mighty counselor. And the first place we should go for counsel is on our knees and in his word. Can I get an amen to that? But in addition to that, it's good to turn to people that are walking with the Lord. That's why the men's study is great. The women's study, midweek Bible studies. The reason we have as many, you know, we have prayer several times a week. Why? Because we need to gather together and to pray together. And there's something special that happens when God's people gather together. Amen. Bible tells us when two or more gather in his name, there he is in the midst of us. Number three, we're going to see that our God is a gracious God. He's a God of the anonymous. We'll talk about that. And don't let your guard down even when you've won a great victory because the enemy won't. Then we're going to see our God is a God of both the hills and the valleys. So this is the title of the message. We're going to see that whether, again, everything is good or you see the answers to everything, or your life is a mess, or you're going through a difficult time, and you don't know where the answers are going to come from, isn't it good to know that God's in control in both cases? Amen? Amen? Amen. And he's a faithful God. Number five, our God will punish false gods and those who follow them. A lot of times we don't like that. We had a guy that used to come to our church. He's in heaven now, praise God. But he was one of the first people that got saved at Calvary Chapel, Capitol, uh, Calvary Chapel Calabasas. And what happened was, he, every time I would teach a text where God killed people, he would leave the church for a month. He would just get mad. I don't want to serve a God that does things like that. And there's this mentality that we have that we think somehow all God does is save people. And that's his desires. that none should perish, no not one. But guys, we, we, we don't lack salvation because of, of what God did. We lack salvation because we reject him. Can I get amen to that? And if we go to hell, it's not because God isn't gracious enough. It's because we reject him and God doesn't send us to hell. We choose to go there. Can I get an amen to that? But here's the reality. Our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but he's also a holy and righteous God. And if you preach only one of those, that's a false God. Amen. You can have a God who's righteous and, you know, and judges sin and you can just preach that and preach no love and grace. And then he's a, you know He's. He seems to be a vindictive God if you don't get the full balance. But you can also teach that he's a God of love and grace and mercy. I was talking to one of my coworkers this week, and she called me about an account, and we were talking. And then she said something to me, and she goes, I know you're a pastor, but you're not one of those pastors that thinks people are going to hell. I said, well, yeah, the Bible says so. What I think is irrelevant. And she said, well, I grew up in the church, and I had to leave when I found out that my friends that are sleeping around or homosexuals or have these kind of lifestyles are going to hell. And I said, well, and she said, that just doesn't seem fair. I said, you know, what? doesn't seem fair that sinners like me get to go to heaven. Can I get an amen to that? The reality is there's none righteous, no, not one. And we have to understand the righteousness of God and the holiness of God and the grace and the love and the mercy of God are all the same God. Amen? Amen. People say, I don't like that God of the old Testament. He's kind of rough. He wipes out entire cities. You know, he gives them 300 years to repent. Amen. The Amalekites and people are like, what would what the poor Amalekites do? Oh, they're picking off people in the wilderness. They were slaughtering people. They were going after the aged and the invalids and slaughtering them and killing them. And God said, I've seen what you've done. And they gave him 300 years to repent. They didn't repent. He brought righteous judgment. Guys, he's, he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen. And we'll see that in tonight's text in a little bit. And then true repentance comes with humility and brokenness. Guys, it's more than an emotion. It's a change of mind direction and behavior, and then finally, partial obedience is disobedience. Amen? I misspelled that. You can tell it's typing fast. Partial obedience is disobedience. So, guys, to obey is better than sacrifice. So, let's begin there looking at the God of both the hills and the valleys. We're going to pick up there in verse 1. We'll read the first four verses. It says, now, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him with horses and chariots, And he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. Now, Samaria is the capital of the northern kingdom. Samaria is where Ahab lived. So, Samaria was again, while Jerusalem was the capital of the south, Samaria was the capital of the northern city. Now, Ben Hadad, if you were paying attention about five chapters ago, when Asa became king of the south, and he was a godly king who tore down the idols, and remember, he Kicked his grandma out as being, uh, you know, like on the board, right? She was doing the wrong thing and he fired his grandma. You gotta love a guy who loves Jesus enough to fire his grandma. Can I get an amen? But Asa was a godly man, and what happened was that the northern kingdom and the king of the northern kingdom set out against him and basically tried to put a border around them and starve them out. So he made a covenant with Ben Hadad, who was the king of Syria. So here's what you have you have Judah, you have Israel, and then you have Syria up here, okay? So he made a covenant with the king up here and said, look, you make a covenant with me, a treaty with me. And he gave him gold and silver to become, you know, and make a covenant with him. So this is either the same man or it's maybe his son with the same name. It could be the same man. Not that much time has gone by. And so Ben-Hadad is now waging war against the Northern kingdom. And Ahab is the king. And even though he's evil, these are still God's people. Most of them are in rebellion and they're worshiping false gods. But they're still God's chosen people. Verse 2. Then he sent messengers into the city of Ahab, king of Israel, and said, said to him, This says Ben hadad your silver and your gold are mine, your loveliest wives and children are mine. Um, this is bullying. Can I get an amen to that? He came in and looked and said, Tell him, I'm taking his stuff. I'm taking his kids, and I'm taking his wives. First of all, he's got more than one wife. Jezebel would be enough. Can I get an amen? But he's got wives, he's got children, and he's got riches, and the king from the north comes down and tells. Now, by the way, if Mike Tyson came to my house and tried to take my wife, we'd be throwing down. Can I get an amen to that? A real man is going to fight. I don't care if it's the raw. Ro- I don't care how big he is. If he tries to take my wife, we've got a problem. Can I get an amen? What kind of wimpy man would just go, oh, sure, go ahead? Oh, by the way, one of the kids is asleep in that room. But make sure you don't leave them here. Here's the bank account. Well, watch what happens. Look at verse four. And the king of Israel said, "My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all, all I and all that I have are yours." Wow. Ahab is not only evil; he's a wimp. Can I get an amen to that? He's weak. Now, let me tell you why he's weak. He has no relationship with God. Amen if God is for us, who can be against us? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. He looks at things from a physical perspective. And it's not just the king, you know, the king of Syria, but it says he has 32 other kings with him. So here comes this huge force against him. And they tell him, we're going to take all your stuff. We're going to take your wives and your children. We're taking it all. And he calls him my Lord. By the way, there's a problem. You don't call anybody Lord. Can I get an amen to that? And he says, everything I have is yours. That should only be true in your marriage vows. Amen? You don't give that away to other people. You don't give it away to the false gods of this world. And here's King Ahab. And what a wimp. Again, his wife's running him all over the place. He's scared to death of her. He won't speak out against her. And here he is, the king threatens him. And because he can't turn to God, what does he do? He gives up. So tragic, so sad. Look at verse five and six. Then the messengers came back and said, thus speaks Ben-Hadad saying, indeed, I have sent to you saying, you shall deliver to me your silver and your gold and your wives and your children. But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time. And they will search your house and the houses of your servants. And it shall be whatever is pleasant in your eyes. They will put it in their hands and take it. So when he immediately said, we're taking your gold and silver, I'm going to take your wives and your children. And when he quickly agreed to that, he decided to take even more. And this is what the enemy does. Can I get an amen to that? Your flesh will never be satisfied. As soon as you relent to the temptation of the world, as soon as you relent to someone who wants to come and overthrow your life and your relationship with the Lord, as soon as you turn it over to somebody or something else, your flesh will never be satisfied. As soon as they take an inch, they'll want to take a mile. And so here's King Ahab. And can you imagine? Yeah, we're going to come down to your house. We're going to walk by and everything that looks good, we're taking it. And anything we see that you like, we're ripping it out of your, your house. By the way, we're going to do that to everybody in your country. We're just going to level the place. Basically, we're going to take over your nation. Now, the only, here's what Israel has going for itself. It's still God's people. Can I get an Amen even though they're in rebellion, even though they have an evil king, even though many of them have started worshiping worshiping false idols, God is a God of love and grace and mercy. So it's the Syrians are, again, being bullies in the biggest way. And the truth is Israel's evil idol worshiping king was walking in open rebellion against God. And so practically his rebellion had led to God's righteous judgment that brought about three and a half years of drought. See, one of the reasons that their army, their army had always been very strong, but because of their idolatry, it didn't rain for three and a half years. And if you're, if you don't have rain and you don't have proper food for three and a half years, not only do people die, but the ones who survive are weak. So his military has been torn down and and due in large part to his own rebellion. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. My boys have heard that so many times from me. They just, when I start to even say it, they know it's coming. Can I get an amen? But the way of the transgressor is hard. If you walk in rebellion or fellowship, choose one. Amen. You cannot be in open rebellion against God and walk in intimate fellowship with God. And sadly, Ahab is in rebellion against God. He has nothing to do with God. Because of that, there was no rain for three and a half years. All of his idols or all of his, uh, you know, prophets to Baal are dead. And now the people to the north are coming down. And they're going to take everything from him. Spiritually, it's his lack of relationship with the true God, the very God that the, the, of the people he ruled over left him weak, afraid, and lacking wisdom. Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you don't fear God, you don't have wisdom. You can have intellect. You can know, you know things of this world, but you don't have supernatural, eternal wisdom if you don't know the Lord. So how big of a wimp, how much of a coward would you have to be to allow your enemy just to take, not just your possessions? Who cares about that? They can have my stuff. But my wife, my children, although Jezebel, I think I'd gift wrapped. you got to get an amen <laughs> Which one do you want? Jezebel? Yeah, matter of fact, come on down, bro. You can have her right now, right? But it says his wives, he had more than one, and that's a lot of problems. So the king basically was going to let him run over the top of him. Ahab seemed to be afraid, again, not only of his own wife, but also of Ben-Hadad. And Ben-Hadad now ups the ante and lets him know he wants more. You know, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of the strongholds that people get involved with, what satisfies them in the beginning won't won't continue to satisfy them. They have to do more. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, gambling, stealing, fornication, adultery, whatever it is, however it starts, if there's no repentance, it typically just continues to grow. Can I get an amen to that? Same thing's happening here. He's, become, he's getting further and further away from the Lord. And because he doesn't have a relationship with God, he is failing miserable as an evil king. And when we give into the flesh or that which is evil, things never get better. They only get worse. One of the greatest lies that Satan tells you is just do it this time and get it out of your system. It's okay. God will forgive you. Have any of you ever heard that besides me in your life, right? And there's this temptation that comes. And so here we have this king, King Ahab. He's supposed to be the one who leads and rules the people. He's supposed to be the one that's their military leader, their captain. And instead, he basically is inviting the enemy down to just pillar the place, take everything he wants, take their wives, their children, destroy their families. Now, so point number one, your flesh will never be satisfied. If you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. He gave ben Haddad an inch and then he wanted everything. And then if you're walking in open rebellion against God, you should be afraid. And he's a fearful man. By the way, I don't want to overemphasize this, but I think it says a lot about us, about how, how afraid some people have been the last year. Amen. No, I'm not saying there aren't some reasons to fear to some degree, and I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions because we should. But I have Christian friends that are young people that have no, and they have not left their house in 16 months, and they're scared after death. And I call them on the phone, bro. God's not giving us the spirit of fear. Amen. Yes. We don't need to be afraid. Heaven's better. Can I get amen to that? You can't threaten me with heaven. Now again, you know, if you have a pre-existing condition, if you're old, all those things, I get that, and I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about people that literally are living in just petrified in fear. And that just isn't aligned with scripture. So point number two, there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Now watch, Ahab is actually going to do something right. It's pretty rare. So when it does happen, I want to point it out. So watch what he does here in verse seven. So the king of Israel called all the elders of the land. Okay, there you go. About time, bro. About time you got some counsel. About time you sought some wisdom from somebody else. About time you put your arrogance aside and your foolishness aside and sought godly counsel. Look what it says. He said, notice, please, and see how the man seeks trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and my silver and my gold, and I did not deny him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, do not listen or consent. Duh. The people, counselors go, what do you? you want, you, what does he want? Dude, we're not doing that. Why would you want to do that? Why would you say okay to that? And they're, they're correcting him. And you know, we all need people in our life who will love us enough to rebuke us and correct us when we need it. Can I get an amen to that? We need people who love us enough, who will come alongside us. You've heard me say it. Christians don't stab each other in the back. We stab each other in the front. Amen. We bring the word of God, the sword, and we come right to people in loving and grace and say, bro, what are you doing? The Bible tells us our sin will find us out. And sometimes it's found out by those who love us most. It says, therefore, he said to the messenger of Ben-Hadad, tell my Lord, I wouldn't be calling him Lord. I get that that's part of tradition and I get it. No, I got one Lord and it ain't him. Can I get an amen to that? He says, tell my Lord, the king, all that you sent sent for to your servant, the first time I will do. But this thing I cannot do And the messengers departed and brought the word back to Ben-Hadad, or back to him. Now, when someone's a tyrant, and they tell you that they want this much, and you say, okay, then they tell you they want a little bit more, and you say, no, are they usually pretty happy? They're usually going to go, well, you know, he he told me he was going to give me like 80% of his stuff. I should be happy with that. Uh, No, that's not how tyrants operate. And that's not how Satan operates. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't want part of your life. He wants all of your life. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And so the word is going back to Ben-Hadad. So it was wiser for Abraham to seek counsel. He should have done it before he even gave him the first answer. But it's a good thing that he did it now. And the elders of Israel rightly saw that each surrender to Ben-Hadad and the Syrians was the first step to the loss of the total sovereignty for Israel. Remember, we can lose sight of this. God brought them through the wilderness and they wouldn't enter in. But then they finally entered in and he gave them victory over the giants in the land. This land flowing with milk and honey was gifted to them by God. And they wiped out all the enemies who were supposed to. They let some of them live. And so this is the land that God had created for them, that God had gifted to them. And Ahab, just like that, is pretty much ready to give it all away. Give back the sovereignty. You know, this is the sovereign land of God. Now, the good news is God is still in charge, not ben Haddad. amen? God is a faithful God. While we should seek counsel from the elders sooner, he should have, because there's wisdom in the counsel of many, it is good that he not only sought counsel, but he listened. Guys, it's one thing to seek counsel and then not listen. You know, there's very few things more frustrating than when you're sharing something with somebody, and I I need counsel too, so we all need it but when you're counseling somebody and it's so clear, bro, no, you can't do that, bro. If you do that, it's going to be destructive. And then they do it anyway. And then the house blows up and then they wonder why. And the hard part about that is the guys, God's word is clear. Amen? Amen. And God's word is true. And you know, I tell people I don't know the answer. I don't have the answers. I just know where they are. I got the teachers' edition. This has all the answers in it. Can I get an amen to that? Remember the teachers' edition? One of the kids in math class would get it. Everybody would be over there with their homework paper. <laughs> that's wrong, but we did it. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we did it. Now, so Benadad gets word that, well, I'll agree to what I first told you. You can have that's even that's still taking your wives, dude. Verse ten. Then Benadad sent to him and said the gods do so to me. And more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful, for each of my people, oh, each of the people who follow me. Here's what he basically says. Now, Jezebel had made the same oath of vengeance against Elijah, but she didn't catch him. But the good news is greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And if God is for us, he can be who who can be against us. And we shouldn't worry about the threats of men. Can I get him into that? By the way, on a totally separate note, I'm going to ask you guys for some prayer. So my son-in-law pastors at Calvary Chapel in Broomfield, Colorado. It's called Reach Church. God's blessing it. Church is growing. They've done multiple services. Two weeks ago, a young man who had started coming to the church for a short amount of time, he's got some issues. He grabbed my grandson, drug him out into the parking lot, picked him up and body slammed him into the concrete. And this is my same grandson that fell out the window when he was four years old and broke almost every bone in his body. And then some people saw him and they kind of, you know, got a hold of him and he almost ran my son-in-law over. He was trying to protect his son and they went and got a restraining order. When they went to do the restraining order yesterday, my son-in-law said, look, he's got issues. He's tried to commit suicide several times. He's harming other people. We should do something. The judge said, nothing I can do. And when he said that, this young man pointed his finger like a gun at my son in law and went like that and said, You're dead. And then he went like this and said, Then I'm going to be dead. And he's saying to the judge, Can we do anything? Nothing we can do. Now, is God still in control? What's the answer? But should we use wisdom? What's the answer? I'm like, You need a cop at every door. Can I get an amen? He's got police officers. But you know what? We want to see that young man that's messed up saved. Amen. But, but shy of that, if he comes near my grandson again, you're going to, Pastor Josh will be the pastor and I'll be in prison. Can I get an amen to that? You know, there's a part of us that wants to protect them. But see, here's the reality. The enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. It's when God's doing a great work that the enemy shows up in force. Can I get an amen to that? And so guys, we need to trust in the sovereignty of God, but we need to use wisdom. And here, Ben and is being threatened. He's being told that when we, I'm going to come down there and level Samaria, Samaria where you are, and you know what? There won't be enough for each of the guys who follows me to pick up a handful of dust because I'm leveling that place. That's the threat. And see, when there's a threat, part of us gets fearful, part of us is concerned. I'm certainly, you know, concerned about my grandson, but I also know that God is greater. Amen. My grandson's name is is Ezra. The campers know that. Ezra. (laughs) Titus, Ezra, Zion, and Judah. I was thinking Judah for a second. But so Ezra, you know, and God bless him. He's okay. You know, my my daughter's okay. My son-in-law, a little fired up as you can imagine. Pray for him. But we must not succumb to the temptation of the enemy or the threats of this world. Because look, no matter what happens, we need to have an eternal perspective. Can I get an amen to that? And that's why if we're fearful, we're too focused on the temporal. Now, we should not be reckless, but we should be faithful. Amen? And so what happens is the enemy wants us to crawl in a hole and be afraid and not do anything. And, you know, and, and there are people saying, we should shut down the church. Well, my son-in-law says, absolutely not. But we're going to post people at the door. And if he comes on the property, they have, a, they have a restraining order. We'll make sure he's gone. But guys, God is still in control and God is still faithful, even when ungodly run amok. Can I get an amen to that? And so we must not succumb to it. We need to walk in the spirit. We need to keep our eyes and hearts and passions and focus on Jesus alone. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Benhadad is coming for him. But you plus God is a majority. Verse 11. So the king of Israel answered and said, tell him. Let not the one who puts on the armor boast like the one who takes it off. And man, do I like this. Ahab, where did that where did that testosterone creep in? You just manned up for a moment. Like it's the only time I see it in scripture. Here's what he basically is saying. You know, don't don't be the one who's putting the armor on, be the one who celebrates. Let it be the one who takes the armor off. Here's what he's saying. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. It's not how brave and bold you are in the statements you make before the battle. It's if if you can take off your armor after the battle because you've been victorious. Does that make sense? And so he's basically telling them hey, you're talking real strong, but you're just putting your armor on. Let's just see who, you know, let's see how this battle works out. And boy, Ahab, again, he got some godly counsel. And all of a sudden, he's gone from being, take my wife, take my kids, take my stuff. He can have the whole country. He's given it all away. And now he's actually challenging Ben-Hadad, who has a much greater army. And their army has shrunk greatly because of the, of the drought and because of their disobedience to the Lord, verse 12. And it happened when Ben-Hadad heard this message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post, that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. So by the way, Ahab, at least in this short text, is doing it right. He went and got godly counsel. And then after he got godly counsel, he spoke up and made a stand for his people, which is what a king should do. And King Ben-Hadad is getting liquored up, doesn't pray, wouldn't matter anyway, because he's praying to dead gods that don't exist. And he says, he's liquored up and says, let's go to battle. Now, 32 kings. Now, some of them were kings of smaller tribes, but still 32 kings. We don't know how many people that is, but it's a great deal of people that are coming. We're going to see they have chariots and horses. And we're going to see that the army of the children of Israel is in the thousands, not the hundreds of thousands or the tens of thousands. So they're fighting an enemy that's greater than their size. And the only way they're going to win is if God shows up. And by the way, isn't that where our faith grows is when the only way we're going to get through it is if God shows up? See, too often it's when the doctor says, sorry, there's nothing we can do. When you're healed, God gets the glory. Can I get an amen to that? When you've got a situation, you just can't imagine how this is ever going to be fixed. And then God fixes it. God gets all the glory. When you're in a situation where you can't spend enough money to fix it, you can't call enough doctors to fix it. There's nothing you can do to get out from under it, but you get on your knees, you cry out to the Lord. He shows up in a mighty way. And when he does it, he gets the glory. Amen. So it's those trials where we grow the most. And Ben Haddad doesn't seek godly counsel. He's liquored up. Let's go get him. We know that the children of Israel are going to be grossly outnumbered and they're going to get ready to attack the city. Ben and Dad, no doubt was shocked. I think he was shocked when he heard the response. Cause you know, if you're, if you're picking on a guy for a while and he just keeps wimping out every time you pick on him, if he finally fights back, you're shocked. So he, he already told me he can have his kids and his wife and his gold and his silver. And then, you know, he told him he wanted everything else. And he pushed back a little bit. Now he says, Don't be talking until we see who wins his battle. He manned up. Amen? And you know what? Godly counsel held up his arms. Again, do we really think, though, that like he's having a revival in his relationship with the Lord? What do you think? No. We're going to see that's not the case. But you know what? He's a a pagan idol worshiper. Doesn't pray. No godly godly counsel. Speaking of Ben-Hadad. He responds in his fleshly pride. And then may we never allow our fleshly pride to lead the way. Can I get an amen? May be led by prayer and word and godly counsel. I'm so thankful that when my son-in-law ran out into the parking lot because someone called him, an attorney was pulling out of the parking lot and saw it happen, and it was between services, and he ran and got my son-in-law. My son-in-law ran out just to stop him to say, you need to get out of the car, we need to talk. And this guy almost ran him over. And I'm glad that there was no confrontation. Let's put it in God's hands. Can I get an amen to that? And we and we don't want this young man. He went home and tried to commit suicide. He's tried two more times since. So we need to pray for him. He needs the Lord. But I'm glad that God's in control. It gives me peace. Can I get amen? So there is wisdom in the counsel of many. Ahab turned on a dime when he got some godly counsel. He went from just giving it all away. Number three, our God is a gracious God. Look at verse thirteen. Suddenly a prophet approached. Ahab, king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, what a gracious God. Can I get an amen? Now, remember, this guy's worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth; They're worshiping false gods. They're rejecting the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's cursed the God. He he, He got married to a pagan woman who brought pagan idolatry into the land. He's been an evil man. And then God sends him a prophet to say to him, hey, you're gonna go out into battle and I'm gonna give you victory today. And once I do, you'll know that I am the Lord. I would think Mount Carmel should have taken care of that. Can I get an amen? Just a few chapters back, Mount Carmel, fire came down, consumed it all. The prophets of Baal, nothing happened. Hasn't been enough, but I love, look at the Lord reaching out to a hard-hearted evil man yet again. What a gracious God we serve. Amen? He desires that none should perish. Here's another chance for King Ahab. Now again, part of this, of course, has to do with the fact that Israel are still his people, and he's going to give them victory, even in spite of their king. He says, I will deliver. And keep in mind, again, this wicked king, he's married to Jezebel. By the way, they've been trying to kill Elijah. And his wife has already killed hundreds of the prophets. And they're worshiping false gods. And he still reaches out. That's why we need to continue to pray, even for the most hard-hearted people. Because until they breathe their last, it's not too late to get saved. Amen? And I've seen God do it. You know, to some, to some God needs to hit them over the head with a two-by-four. To some, he needs to warn them about the torment of hell. For some of us, God has drawn, him, drawn us unto himself with his kindness. See, God draws people in all different ways. The Bible says kindness leads us to repentance, but sometimes we have to end up in jail or we have to end up at the end of ourselves. You know, and, and sometimes however God chooses to draw us unto himself, it's worth it. And here he is reaching out to, to this evil king yet again. And said, verse 14, so Ahab said, by whom? I love his uh, faith. I will deliver them into your hand. How are you going to do that? That's what he's saying. Who in the world is going to win that battle? They got 32 kings up there. They got chariots and horses. We got a few thousand people. How in the world are we going to have victory over them? See, when God asks us to do the impossible, that's where faith comes in. Amen? a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And it's when our faith is put to the test that we grow the most. And when it seems to be impossible and we trust God, as we've talked about, he shows up. So how in the world is this going to happen? Notice what he says, thus says the Lord by the young leaders of the provinces. Then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he said, you, I love this. Now it's too often. This happens in ministry sometimes. Uh, I've been a pastor for 33 years. I've been a senior pastor for 18, 19, whatever it is. And a lot of times, here's what will happen even in ministries. You'll see that there's a need for something, and then you'll be waiting for someone to show up to do it. You know, we really need this. You wait for someone to show up. I'm going to tell a bit on on Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim told me when he started leading worship here, he goes, I'm just the fill-in guy until the guy gets here. Eight years later, (laughs) (laughs) praise the Lord, can I get an amen to that? But there's this mentality sometimes that we think if God's going to do something, then he's going to have to bring somebody to do it. Here's the reality. I think more times than not, he just wants to use the people that are already here. Amen? It doesn't mean God can't send other people. But I believe most of the time the church is healthy and grows because the people that are already here continue to grow and step out in faith and start using their gifts so that God is glorified. Amen? And so he says to him, well, who in the world are you going to get? You going to bring some army in here to help us? No, we're going to use the young people that are here right now. Who's going to lead the battle plan? You are Ahab. Mr. I'm, I'm afraid and hiding, Mr. Ahab. You're going to be the one that leads the battle again, because if God is for us, who can be against us? By whom? Boy, I love that. Who's God going to use? You know, one of my favorite verses I quote it often Second Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for a better method or a better message. He's looking for men and women who'll say, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen? Amen? And he just wants us to raise our hand and say, I'm here, Lord. Use me. And by the way, when you raise your hand, you're always blessed when you do. And the people that grow the most are the people serving the most. And then the more you grow, the more you want to serve. It just becomes this thing that just keeps taking place. And so here's Ben and Dad thinking, oh, wh- who are you going to bring to help? And he says, you know, you're going to do it. You're going to step up and you're going to do it. Verse 15, then he mustered the young leaders of the provinces and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel. How many? 7,000. Now I do think it's interesting could be a coincidence, but there's no coincidence in the Bible. Can I get him into that? When he told Eli- Elijah, said, I'm the only one. He said, no, I have how many more just like you? 7,000. How many are going to go out and fight this battle? Is that by chance in the Bible? Bible rocks. Can I get an amen? I got 7,000 more. Matter of fact, I got 7,000 going to go out and fight a battle. I got 7,000 that I'm going to use. He's a faithful God. It's an interesting number. Again, he said, I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And these are 7,000 here in their army. So they're going to be grossly outnumbered from the world's perspective. And sometimes we feel that way, especially living in California. Can I get an amen to that? Don't we feel a little outnumbered in California? By the way, quit moving to Montana. We need somebody to stay here. Can I get an amen to that? Moving to Montana and Texas and Tennessee and everyone. I'm moving to a red state to get out of here. Well, God bless you if the Lord sends you, but we need some Christians to stay here. This is a mission field right here. Amen? We need Christians to stay here and be faithful. Only way I'm going is if God writes it on the wall. I have a heart to to see revival in the Conejo Valley. Amen? God can do that. So the young leaders of the provinces went out first and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol. And they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. So here's what happens. He takes this small army that he has and he sends them out. And God told him to go, so he sent them out. We don't see him making big plans. Not saying that's wrong, but he sends them out. And trusts that God said he'd give him the victory, so he sent them out into the battle. So there's two evil kings in this battle, by the way. Neither one of these is a godly man. Ahab's not. But God is showing up strong on his account, even though he's an evil man. One is heeding godly counsel and one is giving drunken instruction. Right, the one guy's drunk and he just sending his people out. The other one heeded godly counsel. He heard from the Lord, and now he's sending his army out into battle. So he said, "This is Benhadad. If they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they've come out for war, take them alive." That sounds like the logic of a drunk man. Can I get an amen? I don't think that's what he meant. Because he would have just said, take them alive. But he said, if they come out for war, take them alive. If they come out for war, take them alive. And if they come out for take them alive. This guy's lost. He's just full of himself. He's drinking. We've got Ahab finally mobilizing the people. The Lord is on their side. They're going out, even though they're outnumbered. If God is for us, who can be against us? And we need to remember that when we feel overwhelmed by the things of the world Verse 19, then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled and Israel pursued them and Ben-Hadad and the king of Syria escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Then the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Cyrenians with a great slaughter. And a prophet came to the king and said to him, go strengthen yourself, take note and see what you should do for in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come against you. Here's what happened. They stepped out in faith. They went out and fought a much greater army and God gave them victory, just like he said he would. And guys, as we, we, we look at the promises in the word of God, and if we step out in faith, God will always show up. Can I get an amen to that? If we use the gifts God's given us for his kingdom and for his glory, God will be glorified through them. If we will be, not be content with saved souls and wasted lives, we don't want to be trapped between Egypt and the land of promise, wandering in the wilderness with saved souls and wasted lives. I think I think a few things sadder than going to heaven by yourself. Amen? What I mean by that is, are we, are we reaching out? Are we being used for the kingdom of God? And notice as they go out, in a way with reckless abandon, because God said, I'm going to give you victory. So they went. And we see the Syrians who are better trained, more in number, better weapons, and they scare them half to death. They all kill all their people in front of them. And the king, the drunken king runs for his life. But notice the end, what he says there, be prepared. Pastor Day paraphrased, be prepared. You won the battle. It's not over. Guys, we need to remember that too, that when we resist the devil, he flees from us, but he doesn't retire. Amen. When when we have victory over an area of our life, it doesn't mean that the temptation is not going to come again. And so he's letting him know, God gave you a great victory. Praise God for it. To him be all the glory, but be ready. Because until we get to heaven, right, we've been justified, we're being sanctified till the day we're glorified. Part of the sanctification process is the trials of life that we go through together. He went on to attack the horses and the chariots. They had horses and chariots. That's the equivalent of having tanks. You know, a chariot moves quickly. A lot of the chariots, have you ever seen Ben-Hur? I've told you guys my favorite movie of all time. I love it. But Ben-Hur, right, they'd have those things coming out the side and they would just blast through a group and just cut guys off at the knees. And when you're in a chariot, you got, you move way fast. It's like having tanks. And here these guys were, and they're fighting against them. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. Can I get an amen to that? And here, that's a clear, you know, fulfillment of that scripture. That's true. Even today, we don't put our faith in the military or anything else. And again, having a good military is not a bad thing, but our faith is in the Lord. And he tells him to go strengthen himself get ready for future battles. When you have a great victory, don't start thinking you aren't going to be in any more battles. In some cases, the enemy comes back even stronger. Don't put your guard down. Amen. So our God is a gracious God. We see here how he shows up on behalf of an evil king, a king that has led people away from him, a king that killed some of his own prophets, a king that had set up idolatry all over the city and had taken away the, you know, nobody's worshiping in the temple. And all that took place and God still showed him grace because God still desires that none should perish, no, not one. And he also has a heart, of course, for the children of Israel, even though their king is an evil king. I pray this all the time. Lord, even though those that lead us, you know who they are, you allow them to be in authority. But Lord, for the sake of your people, would you show up in a mighty way? Can I get an amen to that? For the sake of your people, could you, could you help us get rid of abortion? For the sake of your people, could uh, you know, protect our religious freedoms? Can I get an amen to that? For the sake of your people. And see, we need to pray that. We need to pray for that. We have an awesome God. The nameless prophet. So these prophets, they keep being people. This just says the prophet. This prophet shows up. Some people try to stick Elijah or Elisha in there. A lot of the commentaries I read. I call them the usual, potato, usual, usual potatoes, right? The commentators, right? So the commentators will say, will say, oh, that must be Elisha or must be Elijah. There's no proof of that. Matter of fact, I think if it's either one of them, their name would be mentioned. Can I get an amen? We've been introduced to them. So God's using people whose names we don't even know. And I love that because it lets us know that God can use people like us. Amen? You don't have to have a name that's known by other people. You just need to be faithful to the Lord and do everything you do for his glory, not so that people will notice you. I remember a guy told me one time, because it says here to strengthen yourself. And when I thought it was this, I had a, 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 a guy I knew, you know, somewhat, and he was a pastor of a church. And here's what he told me he did. He said, every Sunday I just show up and then I just go up to the pulpit. And then I just, whatever God whispers in my ear, that's what I teach. Okay. <laughs> Study to show yourself approved to workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Is that in your Bible? Can I get an amen to that? And it's nonsense when we try to spiritualize laziness. Can I get an amen to that? Well, you know, I just think, and we had a guy that came to our church in Santa Cruz, and he came up to me, and he told me this, and he was, he was adamant. You know, pastor, I don't think we should have pastors. I think what we should do, we should just come to church. It should be organic. I go, bro, you've been in Santa Cruz way too long. But it should, just, it should just be organic. We should just come and watch what God wants. I said, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion, and he gives some to be pastors and teachers. Can I get amen to that? Not that we're not all called to teach and minister to our families and others, but our God's a God of order. Amen. He does everything decently and in order. What a mess that is. But this guy's telling me that. And I'm like, you know, I just go when I get up. I mean, what what a train wreck that is. We don't study. I had a friend who said, if he won't bother studying, I won't bother listening. I got an amen to that. Can I get an amen to that? If if he hasn't studied, if the guy's not prepared, he's got no business having anybody listening to anything he has to say. Amen. So, so, So study. You know, here's what he says. You know, strengthen yourself. Take note. Be ready because more battles are coming and we want to be ready when the enemy comes. Point number four, our God is the God of both the hills and the valleys. Look at verse 23. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to him, the gods are the gods. Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we will be stronger than they. So do this, dismiss the kings each to his own position Put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse, chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. Surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So here's what they're saying: Well, their God they won because their God's the God of the hills, and we fought them in the hills, and that's why we lost because their God's the God of the hills. But our God's the God of the plains, so we can get them down the plains then we'll win. So it was a twofold thing. First of all, they had a new, they had a new uh, military strategy of how to fight. But what was their greatest sense was that, well, their God is the God of the hills, but our God's the God of the plains. So their God beats us in the hills, but our God will beat them down here. Your God won't beat our God because your God doesn't exist. <laughs> Amen? The false gods of this world. But this is how the world thinks. And it can creep into the church if we're not careful. Somebody gave me a... I lost something, and they were like, hold my St. Christopher. He'll help you find it. I'm like, would you stop it? Can I get an amen to that? He's the... He's the I don't know if it's who it is. He's the saint of lost stuff. He's in heaven ain't thinking about none of that. Can I get an amen to that? He's not lost. He's found. He's just perfect. He's in heaven. Amen? But here's what happens is we, we start having these gods of different things. And by the way, as Christians, you should have nothing to do with astrology. Can I get an amen I have people come up to me from our church and go, wouldn't you be born? Oh, you're a this. And I'm like, no, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. My sign is the cross. Can I get an amen to that? But what happens is we start to have these other false gods and these other false beliefs and these other things that creep in. And here they are. Well, our God's the God of the plains. Well, let's find out. Our God's the God of the hills and the valleys. Can I get an Amen. Our God's the God of, of when everything's good, you know, when you're laying down in green pastures and when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. He's still God. He's still in control. He's faithful. And he's the God of the Republicans and the Democrats. Can I get an amen to that? He's the God of when things are going our way, when things aren't going our way. He's still in control. He's still faithful. We don't put our trust in the world. We don't put our trust in the military. We put our trust in Jesus. Amen. And we're going to see that he is the God of the hills and the valley. So this sounds great if you're into voodoo or something. If you're into something ridiculous. So there, we got the God of the plains. By the way, they carved up that God, burnt half of it in the fire and the other half they worship. That's a problem. Amen. And so our God is the God of the hills and the valleys of the good times and the bad He's the God of prosperity and persecution, the God of health and sickness, the God of the strong and the weak, the God of hard ground and the Bible belt, the God of well-known and the anonymous. He is is the God of all things and he is always in control. So they decide to go down to the plains and notice it says in verse 26, they went to Aphek. Well, Aphek is on the other side of Samaria from Damascus and it's down a coastal plain. It's on flatlands. And there were other battles fought there, 1 Samuel chapter four. So this is a place where battles would take place because the land was flat. And you know what? That's a better place for chariots, right? It's hard to operate chariots in hills. So in their mind, this is a military advantage, but more importantly, our God's the God of the plains and their God's the God of the hills. Let's see how that works out. Look at verse 27. The children of Israel mustered and given provisions were mustered and given provision, provisions. Excuse me, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, while the the Syrians filled the countryside. I love the pictures that you see in the Bible. So you imagine that on the on the floor of the plain are chariots and people as far as the eye can see, and you look up in the hills and it looks like a couple little flocks of goats up there. It's Just a small number of people. And you know what? That's when we get to see God move. Because see, don't you remember when Gideon fought? And remember, they were outnumbered 30 to one. God took away more people. Then they're outnumbered 100. And they took out more people. Well, 350 to one. Now you'll know it's me. Now you can go fight them. Amen? And the reality is that sometimes God brings us to that place where we'll have to know. We, we can't say, well, we're just better fighters. We're just stronger than them. We're smarter than them. No, our God is greater than them. Amen? And that's what we're going to see here. Look what happens. So they're just these two little flocks of goats while the Syrians fill the countryside. Then a man of God came. Where's his name? It's not there. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all the great multitude in your hand and you shall know that I am the Lord. I'm not sure how many times he has to keep showing Ahab that he's the Lord, but he keeps showing him. Now, I love this because you'll see, and this might be a stretch, but God hates bad theology. And what I mean by that is, these guys believed that their God was the God of the plains. And God said, let me just show you that that's not the case. Let me fix that for you. Can I get an amen to that? When people have a wrong understanding of scripture and they twist it to their own benefit, God hates that. That's why we need to be careful when we study the Bible. The Bible says, let not many of you be teachers because when you teach, you're held to a higher level of accountability. Amen. So you need to be careful and not add or take away from the word of God and be careful what you teach. And the same thing happens here. When God's here, their proclamation, when they're basically mocking God, our God's the God of the valley. Your God isn't the God of the valley. And God hears that, of course. And God says, well, I'm going to deliver them into your hand so they'll know that, So you will know that I am the Lord. So, hey, Ahab, I gave you victory once. I'm going to give you victory again. And I'm going to tell you that they think that, they're, that their gods the God of the valley. I'm going to show you that I'm the God of the hills, the God of the valley, the God of everywhere in between. Can I get an amen to that? That's the God we serve. And I'm so thankful. He's the God over COVID too. Can I get an amen? He's the God over whatever that thing is, that can be consuming to us and cause us. He's the God of rebellious children. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We're still praying. We want to see God. God's not done with them. And we continue to put him into his hands. So he spoke to him. God will punish the Syrians for their false teaching and their false beliefs. False portrayals of God are still prevalent today, even amongst uh, many who claim to be Christians, like this gal I talked to the other day, my coworker, who thinks, well, he's a God of grace, but not a God of holiness. He's a God of love and grace. He loves everybody. He, desires, he does desire that none should perish, no, not one, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. He's a God who loves and gives, but he's also a God who judges sin. So God takes this flawed theology, in a sense, as a personal insult and our wrong ideas about God take away from his glory and majesty, and they never add to them. When you you misstate who God is, or when you make God less than he really is, you're portraying a false God to the world. Amen? And there's a lot of people, a lot of churches today, where they'll never talk about sin. They'll never talk about hell. They'll never talk about righteous judgment, because they think that's a mean God, and it's going to hurt people's feelings. Let me tell you something. I'd rather have you be offended... have an opportunity to be saved and spend eternity in heaven Then have you feel good about yourself, go out and get in your car and be joyfully heading to hell without Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? And so we're called not to just preach a watered down gospel that makes people feel comfortable, but we need to preach a message, do it in love, make sure people know that the Lord loves them, but also a message of holiness and a message of our need for repentance. Now it says there, I will deliver them into your hand. This is point number five there. Our God will punish false gods and those that follow them. And they engaged opposite, verse 29, each other for seven days. And so it was on the seventh day, the battle was joined. And the children of Israel killed, what does that say? How many? 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. They're outmanned. We don't see any approved numbers. So, I'm assuming 7,000 to over 100,000, they kill 100,000 in a single day. Is that because they're such great warriors? Is that because their king had such a great plan? No, it's because if God is for us, who can be against us? The Bible tells us that one will chase a thousand, amen? Because you plus God is the majority. Remember that the next time you feel overwhelmed, whatever your circumstances are, and you think it's just too much, and there's no way this can be changed, just remember that our God's a God of miracles, amen? And we have not because we ask not. We need to ask for the miraculous. I I, I keep mentioning it, but I have so in my heart to see this young man that threw my grandson onto the concrete and hurt him. I want to see that young man saved, and I'm praying for him. His name's name's, uh, Matthew, by the way. Pray for him. Can I get an amen to that? I want to see him saved. Because you know what? Can God do that? Can God take someone whose life is a mess and fix it? Well, he did it with us. (laughs) Amen. He's not, no one's beyond salvation. He's a great and awesome God. Then it says there, but the rest fled to Aphek, back down to where the battle is taking place, into the city. Now watch this. So God gives them victory using their own hands. Now watch what God does. Watch. And a wall fell on 27,000 of the men that were left. Now, that was a big wall. It didn't say what wall it was, but if it can crush 27,000 people at once. But do you notice how the battle belongs to the Lord and he can use us or choose not to use us? Could he win every battle and never use us again? What's the answer? Could he open up the heavens and just share the gospel from the clouds? But he chooses to use us. And guys, we need to count that as a blessing. It's a get to, not a have to, amen? God could do it on his own, but yet he chooses to use us. What a powerful thing. What a blessing. Now, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city to his inner chamber. So he started off arrogant. I'm gonna come take your wives. I'm gonna take your stuff. I'm gonna take your silver and your gold. I'm gonna take your children. Then he comes back. Matter of fact, we're gonna go through anything we like. We're taking it from you. And then when Ahab pushed back and said, it's not the guy who puts his armor on, but the one who takes it off has won the battle. Let's wait and see who does that he was drunk and said, go get them. They went down, lost one battle. So he regroups. He brings a much larger larger army the second time. He thinks he's got the God of the plain. So he's going to win this battle. He gets whipped again, twice. And the scary part is, is by another evil pagan king, Ahab. But God is on the side of the children of Israel, not because of Ahab, but in spite of Ahab. Amen. God's for us. Even if the king is... Ungodly. Next point true repentance comes with humility and brokenness. Now, watch what happens. So, Ben running away from drunken, tell everybody to go down and slaughter him. Then his servant said to him, Look now, we have heard that the king of the house of Israel our merciful kings, please let us put on sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist, but ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel. Your servant Benadad says, please let him live. And he said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Ahab. No, he's not your brother. Can I get an amen to that? Well, actually he is because you're pagan and so is he. Can I get an amen to that? Neither one of you walk with God. And so God has brought victory and they've killed 127,000, including the the wall falling on them. But there's still one more that's supposed to die and it's Ben-Hadad. Why? Because he's an ungodly man who has mocked the true and living God and God wants righteous judgment upon him and he could judge him himself, but he wants to use Ahab to do it. And Ahab instead is going to show mercy instead of holiness when it comes to to this king. Let's finish up. Now, the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at his word and said, your brother, Benadad. Boy, they like that. He's my brother. Maybe they won't kill him after all. Yeah, he is your brother. Yeah, what? A, yeah, your brother. Hey, hey. Uh, and they said, go bring him. And then Benadad came out to him and he had him come up into the chariot. So Benadad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father, I will restore. Oh, no, no kidding, dude. We just wiped you out. Of course you're giving my stuff back. I can amen to that. How charitable of you. You just got wiped out, bro. I will restore. And, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Never make a treaty with the devil. Can I get an amen to that? Never make a treaty with that which is evil, that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy you. Look, I have people say, we should be praying for Satan. Too late. <laughs> Too late. Can I get an amen? Now, everyone else on this planet, let's pray for it. But the point is, you don't join yourself with evil. You pray for them. You want to see them saved. But what does he do? He's aligning himself with this evil man. Why? Because they got pagan idolatry in common. They're both pagans, and neither one of them knows the Lord. Let's finish up. Last point. Partial obedience is disobedience. Now, a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor, by the word of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. This is the craziest couple of verses in the Bible. Just hang on, watch. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. Now, is this bizarre? He goes to, now the word neighbor there in the original language, it means like a fellow prophet or somebody he knows that serves the Lord with him. And he says, I need you to hit me in the face. And the guy says, no. He said, if you don't hit me in the face, the lion's going to kill you. He didn't hit him in the face. He left and the lion killed him. If you're ready for me to explain this, keep listening because it ain't going to (laughs) happen. Amen. (laughs) Satan is a roaring lion seeking who may devour. I, I don't know. The point I'm making is that sometimes God wants us to do things that don't make sense to us. Amen. And we need to do it anyway. Let's finish. I know there's several more verses, but I'm not leaving a few verses left for next week. It says, and he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him. Praise God, amen. I don't need another guy being eaten by a lion. It said, and inflicted a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Here's what he's doing. I know we're going over, but it's okay. So sitting on the side of the road, he's got a bandage over him. He's been struck on the face. He's kind of unrecognizable to King Ahab. And watch what happens as we finish up. Now, as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, your servant went out into the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone. Then the king of Israel said to him, So you shall be your judgment. Be you yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. Then he said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand, a man who I appointed to utter destruction. Therefore you shall go his life. Your life shall go for his life and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went away, went to his house, sullen and displeased and came to Samaria. Here's what happens. He sees the man. This kind of reminds me, you remember when, uh, when Nathan came to David and told him the story about the sheep, the little lamb that was stolen. And then he, he goes, go kill that man. He goes, well, that was you. He's talking about Bathsheba, right? Same kind of thing here. He comes and questions this man and he tells him, look, I was in charge of watching a man. I was in charge of you know, making sure he didn't escape. And then I got him busy and he got away. And he says, oh, well, Judgment be upon you. Well, God had given King Benadab into his hands and he let him go. And he says, because you have done that, judgment will come upon you. Now, as we close, it's interesting that God doesn't want us to do the job halfway. God, doesn't want, God had brought... Ben-Hadab and all of his army into his hands. He killed 127,000 people, but he didn't kill the one that God wanted him to kill. And this happens often often in scripture. When you don't complete the job, it comes back to haunt you, if you will. Remember Saul was told to kill all of the Amalekites and he held on to one guy. What was his name? Agag, king of the flesh. Amalekites, the flesh. Agag, the king of the flesh, didn't kill him. And who ends up giving, and he let a lot of the Amalekites live. And we know that Samuel came out and killed Agag. He brought the king of the flesh back and prayed him through town. And everybody was like, oh, like he was showing off that I've got the king of the Amalekites. And God said, you're supposed to kill him. Samuel came out and killed him with a sword. The only way he put the flesh to death is with the sword. Saul ends up dying later. And guess who brings word of his death to King David, an Amalekite. So he was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, a picture of the flesh. And because he didn't the flesh destroyed him. Amen? Guys, we don't negotiate with evil. Amen? We don't negotiate with fleshly desires in our life. It needs to be put to death completely. And the same is true for us in ministry. We should not be satisfied, you know, with saved souls and wasted lives. Amen? Our heart and our passion, our desires should be lived, sold out for the Lord. So, He's the God of both the hills and the valleys. Your flesh will never be satisfied. If you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. There's wisdom in the counsel of many. Pride goes before destruction. We don't get godly counsel. Our God is a gracious God. Our God is also a God of the anonymous. Praise God for that. Our God is a God of both the hills and the valleys, both the good and bad times. Our God will punish false gods and those that follow them. True repentance comes with humility and brokenness and partial obedience is disobedience. See, he had won the battle, but he didn't obey God completely, so it was disobedient. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for everyone's patience tonight as we went over a little bit. We thank you for your word that's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray for all of us that we would not be satisfied with safe souls and wasted lives. Lord, we would not be overwhelmed by the size of the enemy, but the greatness of our God. We know that you are greater and you plus us as a majority. If you are for us, who can be against us? You are indeed a gracious and a merciful God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said...